Hello, everyone. This is the Daily Occupation. My name's Anika. Let's get started. For this episode, I'm going to talk about physical agent modalities. This is something that's very important, not just for the exam, but for practice. And I'm going to discuss um, each modality, their methods, the effects that they have on the body, and then indications, contraindications, and precautions. I think it's super important to understand this because a lot of the times we will be using modalities. Um, I will note that some states do require a separate certification for PAMs. So if you are going to be going into practice, make sure that you know what your state um, guidelines are. And um, we'll just kind of dive right in here. So PAMs are just an overall broad term, as I'm sure all of you know, are the procedures and treatment interventions that use light, sound, water, temperature, and electricity to modify client factors that limit OT. PAMs are also going to be considered a preparatory method for therapeutic use of occupations and purposeful activities. So when we use PAMs, we need to make sure that we're using them in conjunction to functional activities, not just by themselves, because them in themselves are not deemed functional or occupation-based, which is what we need to focus on in our intervention sessions. But they can be a great adjunct to our therapy to assist with um, getting those client factors and some other parts to just kind of start going and start reacting and getting gaining back more function um, for our clients on top of just our regular um, other therapeutic activities that we do. So I'm going to get started. I'm going to start with cryotherapy. And as many of you know, cryotherapy is... Um, pretty much just the use of cold therapy. So it's going to often be used to treat edema, pain, inflammation, um, things like that. Um, the cold will help produce vasoconstriction, um, which is going to decrease the amount of blood flow that we have flowing into the injured tissue. So it's um, going to also help decrease muscle spasms. Now, there are some methods that we can do for cryotherapy. We can do ice massage, ice towels, cold packs, cold water immersion baths, cool whirlpools, cold compression units, and vapocoolant sprays. Um, just to cover um, a couple of the ones that are used most often, um, cold packs, they obviously should be covered with a towel so it's not directly touching the skin to prevent injury. And then ice massage. This is used when the area is um, that needs to, that's going to be cooled is pretty small and very specific. So you don't want to put on a big ice pack because you're trying to really target a smaller area. So pretty much this procedure is going to use a large piece of ice to massage the area with circular motions until the skin is numb. So this is usually four to five minutes. Um, this is going to be helpful for edema immediately after surgery and kind of um, in the inflammatory phase of wound healing, just like all other cryotherapy because it decreases inflammation due to that vasoconstriction. 
Things to think about with um, who to avoid um, using cryotherapy with. Um, we have to be very cautious with patients who have impaired circulation, peripheral vascular disease, hypersensitivity to cold, impaired sensation, open wounds, and infections. Next, we have thermal or thermotherapy. So um, cryo, cold, thermo, hot, or heat. So with this, we've got pretty much um, warm whirlpools, fluidotherapy, hot packs, contrast baths, and paraffin baths. So for whirlpool, this is pretty much just where the extremity is submerged in a tub. Um, and the turbine jets are used to circulate the water around the whirlpool. So you can do this for cooling and for warming for the different effects. Um, we've got fluidotherapy. Fluidotherapy is pretty much a machine that's going to um, blow around warm air and there's corn husk particles in the machine. So they're going to um also be blowing and flowing around. The temperature range is 102 to 118 degrees. This is usually for heating um, the upper extremity in the sense of usually like the hand or the elbow. This also can really be helpful in desensitization um, and it can really help with um, you know, being a warm-up before doing certain exercises or other functional activities. But I've seen that it can be really helpful for people who have desensitized, um, like for desensitizing or people who have decreased sensation. There's a lot of um, nice things that can come about through fluidotherapy. Contrast baths, this is going to be combining the use of heat and cold. The client submerges their extremity between two tubs of water. We have one tub that has cold water, which is usually 55 to 65 degrees. And then the other is going to contain warm water, which is 100 to 110 degrees. Um, pretty much the physical response is going to alternate between the vasoconstriction and vasodilation of blood vessels. So this is pretty much just going to help increase circulation, which will eventually and pretty much reduce pain and edema. Then we have hot packs. Um, so hot packs are going to pretty much um, be submerged in a hydrocolator, which is pretty much going to maintain the temperature um, of about 158 to 167 degrees. The packs are going to be separated um, from the skin. We need to make sure that we have them put in their little cotton bag and then we put towels around them depending on the um, amount that the client needs and the sensitivity to the client's skin. We also need to make sure that um, we are going to be around the client because if it does get too hot, um, we need to make sure that we can effectively remove that before it does cause any sort of damage to the skin. So it's very good to stay around when the client is using hot packs. And then lastly, we have paraffin baths. Paraffin is going to be pretty much... Um, Paraffin's kind of like a wax, and so the client's going to repeatedly dip their hand into the tub until like a thick insulating layer um, of the paraffin has been applied to the extremity. Normally, I do six to eight times, but it really depends on the client and the amount that they need to really get those um, effects. So the hand is then wrapped in a plastic bag in a towel for 15 to 30 minutes. So the paraffin is going to transfer the heat to the hand and the bag and the towel are going to act as an insulator um, to pretty much just help keep the heat within and around the hand. This is going to maintain a temperature of 113 to 125 or 129 degrees.
Okay. So overall, the effects of um, thermo um, therapy is going to be to increase blood flow, increase the rate of cell metabolism, increase inflammation, increase muscle contraction velocity, decrease muscle spasms, and decrease pain. When using thermotherapy, we need to avoid and be cautious with clients who have acute inflammation, edema, sensory impairments, cancer, blood clots, infection, cardiac problems, and impaired cognition. It makes sense that we don't want to use it with people with acute inflammation because this increases inflammation um, because it allows for more blood flow with the vasodilation. Um, and then also thinking about someone who has blood clots. If we have that vasodilation, it could dislodge the clot. So that's just some things to think about um, in the sense of what clients we should be cautious with or avoid use with. Then we have ultrasound. Ultrasound is um, really, I, f I find ultrasound to be very interesting. So now we're kind of going into more of the deep thermal agents. Um, so remember that with cryo and thermotherapy, those are more superficial. Those usually are only going to go um, really um, just like to the superficial, a couple centimeters into um, the skin, whereas now we're going more into the deep tissue. And so with ultrasound, we have three different methods. We've got thermal, non-thermal, and phonophoresis. So thermal methods for ultrasound is pretty much when the energy of the sound waves that are applied with the transducer, transducer over the skin um, are going to um, have that acoustic energy convert internally to heat. So the sound waves are going to penetrate the tissue. They're going to vibrate the molecules of the tissue, which is going to cause them to rub up against each other, creating friction. And as we know, friction generates heat. And then also using the gel, that's going to help improve that transmission of the sound waves and the tissues. And so with the thermal, there's going to be some parameters. We've got um, superficial and then um, we also can do the deep tissue. Um, and so three megahertz is going to be used to target tissue that's re relatively superficial. So that's going to be one to three centimeters. And then one megahertz is going to be used to heat tissues that are more than two centimeters below the skin. This is going to be more for people with um, problems associated with joint contractures, scarring, associated adhesions, and muscle spasms. So we really want to apply stretch to the tissue while it's being heated. Um, gains through ultrasound are best maintained when we follow it through with activities, exercises, um, or even the orthosis if the client is needing to help maintain stretch. So like I've been saying, it's a preparatory method and used an adjunct to other activities. Ultrasound also can have non-thermal effects. So non-thermal effects is pretty much going to help with increasing circulation, promoting healing, reducing inflammation, um, and it's really effective for facilitating um, the wound healing, peripheral nerve healing, soft tissue repair after an injury, and also tendon and bone healing. So when I think of an injury in the sense of wound care, I think non-thermal because it can really help with getting that um, wound healing tissue repair um, kind of kick-starting that to help. Um, and then we have phonophoresis. Phonophoresis is using the sound waves to drive anti-inflammatory medication into the tissue. So this is a way to um, administer medications to patients through ultrasound. So pretty much phonophoresis will promote absorption of the topically applied medication to accelerate tissue repair and decrease inflammation.
With ultrasound, we have to be cautious with certain um, clients. We should avoid um, using with clients who have, are pregnant, have cancer, have a pacemaker. And if they do have a pacemaker, we um, doesn't mean that we can't use ultrasound at all, but especially we should be very cautious and, pro and we should avoid using ultrasound around the area where the pacemaker is. If let's say the person has ultrasound on um, their right arm, that may be okay, but it's still good to be cautious. Um, we should be avoiding using ultrasound over infections, someone who has blood clots, growth plates of bones in children. Um, we also should avoid use over the eyes. And also we need to be cautious when using um, with people who have inflammation, fractures, breast implants, and clients with cognitive and sensory impairments. Now we're going to go on to um, electrical stimulation. So we've got different electrotherapeutic agents. So this is pretty much using electricity and electromagnetic on the um, electromagnetic spectrum to facilitate tissue healing, improving muscle strength, endurance, decreasing edema, modulating pain, decreasing the inflammatory process, and modifying the healing process. So pretty much these um, have, there's a couple different methods here. We've got NMES, which is neuromuscular electrical stimulation. So this is pretty much using the electrical current to activate muscle. This is applied through an electrode to the motor point of innervated muscles to provide a muscle contraction. So there's usually, um, there's a couple different parameters, but a lot of the time we'll have it where the current is interrupted to enable the muscle to relax between contractions. So this is going to be helpful in increasing range of motion, facilitating muscle contractions, and strengthening muscles. It may be used post-surgically to provide a stronger contraction to improve tendon gliding, and it can be used later on in tendon repair protocols um, once it's healed sufficiently and can tolerate stress. It also can be applied during any sort of functional activity for dexterity to kind of help um, retrain that muscle and kind of the purpose of the contraction versus just passively opening and closing. Let's say if we're doing grasp, we can actually have them trying to grasp something to kind of connect it more to their brain to give them more of an actual um, kind of um, cause and effect and a purpose and just helping with that brain and neuroplasticity. It's particularly beneficial when it's used to facilitate movement during a functional activity and occupations. Um, and so I use NMES a lot for clients, especially um, working in inpatient rehab. I see it and use it a lot for people who have um, strokes or traumatic brain injuries, sometimes for clients with um, spinal cord injuries, depending on the amount of um, innervation that they have to their nerves or their upper extremities, depending on their level of injury. And it can be very helpful in kind of kickstarting that connection between the brain and the extremity or muscles that you're trying to um, get, begin to contract and just trying to carry it over into functional activity. Then we have TENS or transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. This is pretty much using an electrical current to decrease pain. So this is commonly used to decrease acute pain and to control chronic pain. So usually the units are portable, safe to use, and clients can be educated to use them independently in their home if it's outpatient, for example. So TENS units are going to provide a constant electrical stimulation with a modulated current that's pretty much going to direct to the peripheral nerves through electrode placement. So um, we as therapists can control the attributes of the waveform, so like all of the um, parameters of the frequency, amplitude, pulse width, etc. And so 
when we start, we, um, you know, we have a couple different options. So we can apply at a low fire setting, which is going to create an um, electroanalgesic effect, which is pretty much going to cause the brain to release endorphins, which will then reduce the sensation of pain. We also can then apply a high frequency, which is pretty much when the current's applied to the peripheral nerves. It's going to block the perception of pain in the brain, which is kind of what we consider gate control theory. Um, and then TENS is also frequently used post-surgically for orthopedic conditions, um, especially when range of motion is supposed to be initiated very soon and like about the, like, you know, the first three days or so of the surgery. Um, and so that can be very painful for people, but having that range of motion is very important to ensure that they're um, going to heal properly from the surgery. So it's can be very helpful for those types of clients and also for clients who might have complex regional pain syndrome to kind of help begin their um, treatment before they are um, able to hopefully withstand more of that independently. Then we have iontophoresis. Iontophoresis is pretty much a way of um, controlling pain through providing um, medication through the um, electrode pads and through the electric current. Um, so pretty much this is going to be helpful in decreasing that inflammation, controlling pain. Um, this will be done um, usually um, in the clinic with the therapist there. Um, so TENS is more of a portable um, way, whereas iontophoresis is going to actually be using medications through the electrode pads. So we need to ensure that we do not use the electrode pads over any pacemakers, the carotid sinus, any um, anywhere um, on the stomach of a woman who's pregnant, especially down kind of over that uterus area, and obviously around the eyes. We also want to be um, avoiding use with clients who have epilepsy, cancer, decreased sensation, and cardiac disease. Okay. And lastly, um, I'm just going to quick talk. This is, these are not used very frequently at all um, for most therapists, but just to kind of have a little bit of a background in case it does come up in any questions or just for more knowledge. There also are low-level laser and light therapies that can be used. Um, these are not as commonly um, taught in curriculums and, like I said, not as commonly used. Um, so I will mostly just be skimming over these and giving a summary because I am not someone who has used these and do not want to give a ton of information. Um, I think that finding more um, literature and research from a more respectable source is something that I would highly recommend if you are interested in learning more about these forms of modalities. But we've got three different methods. We have light emitting diodes, super luminous diodes, and low level laser diodes. And pretty much what this is, they're going to work to decrease pain, edema, inflammation, increase wound healing, and decrease scar tissue. So with this, we have to keep in mind that since we do have um, it's laser and light therapy, we need to wear um, eyewear when using the laser. We do not use over the vagus nerve, the carotid sinus, over um, the pregnant um, a pregnant woman's stomach, um, eyes, um, areas of infection, endocrine glands, and avoid using with clients who have cancer. 
As always, I have a PDF on my website. If you go to the dailyoccupation.wixsite.com slash podcast slash resources, you can find it there. Um, I will say that it is very summarized of a table. I do not have the definitions of all of the different modalities, but I do have the temperatures for the thermotherapies. So this can just be a source to review or to add notes to while listening to the podcast and just compiling more information. I hope that this was helpful and um not too boring. PAMs I find to be very interesting. There's always split reviews about OTs and the use of PAMs. Um, I've actually done some research on PAMs and the perceptions of OTs. And um, I think that it's something that it depends also on the state that you're in and if um, you need a separate certification. Um, per, you know, I think that there is a lot that we need to consider when using PAMs and ensuring that we're doing it properly because there is a lot that can go wrong if we don't use it properly, but there's a lot that can go right if we do use it correctly. So I am a big proponent of continued education, ensuring competency, and all of that wonderful stuff when it comes to PAMs. Also, um, just a reminder that I have my Facebook page. If you just go onto Facebook and search The Daily Occupation, you can join the Facebook group. Just have to answer a couple questions just to make sure that it's OTs there that we are talking um, to keep them more conversations going if you would like. All right, that is what I have for you today. Good luck with studying, and I hope this was informative and hopefully helpful. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Anika, and this is The Daily Occupation.